Well, we made it this morning. Um, I just want to thank you all. I'm going to set this over here if that's okay. Thank you all for your hospitality. We got to once again this morning see the hospitality for you all to come pick us up. But generosity too, I'm, I'm dumbfounded. I'm humbled. Uh, I don't know if any of you has ever read the John Warburton. I think it's his autobiography or whatever. But I always tell Paula I have the John Warburton syndrome. Because in that book, several times you'll you'll hear him say, you know, I'm afraid I'm going to give the enemy a chance to say, aha. It's, It's a serious thing to be up here and do this. And I don't take it lightly, but... I've been encouraged by everyone here, and I really appreciate it, really appreciate it. So let's go ahead and get started. If you would, first of all, turn with me to Proverbs 18, Proverbs 18. And verse, just verse 24. This is a, a verse that has stumped me for the longest time and a lot of times when you try to insert yourself into a passage that's what happens you can't see it so let me read it proverbs eighteen twenty four. a man that hath friends must show himself friendly and there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother A man that hath friends, that is a fellow or a companion. Just as we might say today, a man that has a best friend. It then says, must show himself friendly. It struck me when I looked at this word. I was kind of taken back for a little bit. The one Hebrew word translated into four English words here as must show himself friendly, means to spoil by breaking in pieces, good for nothing, evil, or to break or shatter. I mean, when I read this, I'm thinking showing myself friendly, that means to be nice to someone, to help someone, or to listen to someone. Well, being a friend does mean that. But as it's saying here, must show himself friendly, does not mean that this is telling us that the one who has friends is one that shows himself vulnerable no good broken and in need of help isn't that what friends do they help one another because they know one another's faults they open up to one another you might hear someone say of an individual they just won't open up they won't let anybody in This is the idea here, that a friend is someone who you can share deep, intimate things with. We do have friends, and we are friends with some. When you become friends with someone, you know how to help them, and they know how to help you or comfort you. But we as fallen, sinful men and women do this hit and miss. 
Sometimes we are there for some, someone, and then sometimes we are not. It is as our previous pastor, Earl Cochran, used to say, you lean on me, you're leaning on a broken stick. And what will happen? We'll both fall. But then there is something else that is said here. And there is a friend that sticketh closer than a brother. I want to say this about this verse that I'm, that I'm reading. It all goes together. And what I mean is being friends with someone means nothing without this one who sticketh closer than a brother. And let me say right off, this is not one of us. I dare say that even most families who have actual brothers and sisters even stick closer than a brother and a sister. And I say this because I know myself. I know my thoughts and my deeds have been not been very friendly towards others at times. We are fallen, sinful men and women, and we cannot do this perfectly. But there is one, and this is not a question. It is a statement of Scripture. There is no doubt about this. There is only one who sticketh closer than a brother. We may not come to others showing ourselves to be broken and of no value, but there is one friend who will make it so. You will come to him broken. He will make you come to him this way. If you come to him, you will find out that this friend sticketh closer than a brother. He tells us, and this is Jesus Christ the Lord speaking in Matthew eleven twenty-eight. 28. He says, Come unto me. All ye that labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. <clears throat> Those who labor, and that is they are fatigued from their laboring or their working. They feel themselves broken by their laboring. He says, come unto me. Heavy laden, overburdened with ceremony, they are burdened with having to do the same things over and over again with no real progress, if you will. Their conscience is not purged. They know themselves about to be squeezed to death by this heavy burdening of doing, doing, doing. What does he say? He says, come unto me. This is that one that sticketh closer than a brother, Jesus Christ the Lord. There is an account in Scripture that will give us a word picture, if you will, of this one who is my friend. And that's my title, my friend. So turn with me to Luke 10. Luke 10. <clears throat> Luke 10 and 30 through 37. Very familiar to you, I'm sure. And Jesus answering said, A certain man went down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell among thieves, which stripped him of his raiment and wounded him and departed, leaving him half dead. And by chance there came down a certain priest that way, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. And likewise a Levite, when he was at the, at the place, came and looked on him, 
and passed by on the other side. But a certain Samaritan, as he journeyed, came where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion on him, and went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine, and set him on his own beast, and brought him to an inn, and took care of him. And on the morrow, when he departed, he took out two pence, and gave them to the host, and said unto him, Take care of him, and whatsoever thou spendest more, when I come again, I will repay thee. Which now of these three thinkest thou was neighbor unto him that fell among the thieves? And he said, He that showed mercy on him. Then said Jesus unto him, Go and do thou likewise. Have you ever heard someone ask the question, Who is my neighbor? I have, and I've asked that question myself. Now, this lawyer asked this question, but he was asking this question to justify himself, it says. Not because he was truly wanting to know who his neighbor is, but he really wanted to get the upper hand on our Lord Jesus Christ. It is important to know who your neighbor is, or that is who your friend is. The word can be used both ways. Christ here is going to tell us about one who is a neighbor or a friend. We have a man here that Christ speaks of who is going somewhere. Where does it say he went? He went down. He went from Jerusalem down to Jericho, from blessing to curse. Mankind in Adam has made a decision and all of his posterity still make those same kind of decisions and those decisions take them down. The choice made for us in our federal head Adam and here in this account the choice that this man made had a deadly consequence. It says here he was left half dead. We are spiritually dead. Should we die in this state, in this flesh, with no remedy given, we will surely perish. His state was that he would surely die if there was none to help him. The problem is most of those who pass by will not help and cannot help him. A priest and a Levite first passed by him and they passed by on the other side. This is talking about the law and the sacrifices that were actually done. This law was given back in the Old Testament, we know, in the Scripture, and these sacrifices actually happened. You have both the law and the sacrifices spoken of here. But it is also speaking of those religious folks who happen to be going our way as well. They are going down as well. But those religious folks like to speak of doing the Ten Commandments. But the law and the sacrifices cannot help us. These both were given and had their place, the law law and the sacrifices. But they pointed to a more excellent glory. These could never in and of themselves do anything to help men out in this deadly situation. These two were going the same way that this man was going. And I just want to point out that Both of these men, it says here, were going this way by chance. And just keep that in mind. But these sacrifices which these priests made pointed to the one true sacrifice that could help. 
We read in Hebrews 7, 11, if there, therefore perfection were by the Levitical priesthood, for under it the people received the law, what further need was there that another priest should arise after the order of Melchizedek and not be called after the order of Aaron? But these sacrifices themselves done by these earthly priests could not take away sin. Hebrews 9, 11 through 14. But Christ being come and high priest of good things to come by a greater and more perfect tabernacle, not made with hands, that is to say, not of this building, neither by the blood of goats and calves, but by his own blood he entered into once, into the holy place, having obtained eternal, eternal redemption for us. For if the blood of bulls and goats and the ashes of the heifer sprinkling the unclean, sanctifying to the purifying of the flesh, how much more shall the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without spot to God, purge your conscience from dead works to serve the living God? <clears throat> Remember there in Luke 10 that this was a law. You're asking Christ this question. Now, when it says a lawyer here, it's not talking about an attorney. It's talking about one who has studied the Levitical law or the Mosaic law, the Ten Commandments, you can say. So Christ is telling this lawyer this account. It's telling him that those sacrifices cannot help one who was half dead. So it is with the Levite, which here represents the law itself, the law of commandments. Do this and live. This law can look upon you and confirm that you are, you are in fact half dead, but it cannot help you. They both pass by on the other side. But there is one who did not pass by. Now you remember I said the others by chance went that way. It does not say this about this certain Samaritan. Although in the words of Scripture this Samaritan is not called the good Samaritan, it just says a certain Samaritan. He certainly is a certain one. And because of who he is, we know he is good. So he is the good Samaritan. But it says when speaking of this Samaritan, it says that as he journeyed, he was going to the same place, but he intended to do so. He had a specific reason for this journey here, he had a man to help. There is one who while this man was in his, this half-dead state and who would have surely perished had this one not stopped to help him, this is how he comes to us. But this one did not just stop and look at him and tell him, oh, you look pretty bad. I hope you can get some help. No, what did he say? What does it say he did? He bound up his wounds, pouring in oil and wine. And what a message there is there. This Samaritan put this man on his own beast, it says. What do we read in Scripture? He looks for his lost sheep, and when he finds it, he places it on his shoulder and shoulders, and he carries it all the way home. He did not leave him. He took him. And he did not leave it up to himself to be fed or nourished. It says he took care of him. 
but he also made provision for him when he was gone. He promised he would return. But I want to look at the answer this lawyer gave to the Lord. I'm not saying this man was saved or lost. And it's not what this man says, but it is the answer our Lord forces this man to give. Christ asked him, which of these three? Does that not bring up some remembrance of Scripture to you? One on the left, one on the right, and Christ in the middle. One, only one is my neighbor. Only one is a friend to me, to this man. Which one was it? What was this lawyer's answer, answer which Christ forced him, forced him to answer? The one that showed mercy. I'm here to tell you today that he that has shown me mercy is my neighbor and is my friend. <clears throat> everything I have done has put me in this situation and everything about me has put me in danger of death. I mean spiritual, eternal death. But it is my friend who has saved me from certain death. Help comes from nowhere else if you are to be helped at all. What does Christ tell us in John 15, 13? Greater love hath no man than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. There is no doubt that mankind and even brothers and sisters in Christ can lay down their life for their friends for one another. But in doing this, it does not in any way make them or the one they died for any more secure. There is a greater love spoken of here, and a greater one spoken of here. Christ is speaking of himself. He did lay down his life for his friends, and he did this before they were friends. He died for them before they were ever even born, and even before they even knew Christ, who Christ was or that he is their friend. Romans 5, 8 through 10 we read, But God commended his love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Much more then, being now justified by his blood, we shall be saved from wrath through him. For if when we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more being reconciled, we shall be saved by his life. So Jesus Christ died for us when we were sinners. And he reconciled us when we were enemies of God. We were in a ditch on the other side of the pathway of our own doing. And he came along in his infinite mercy and he saved us. Mercy, compassion, that is pity. Show pity, Lord, to me a sinner. He did this judicially by dying on that tree, making me righteous in him before a thrice holy God. It also tells us that he died for ungodly people, Romans 5, 6. For when we were yet without strength in due time, Christ died for the ungodly. We had no strength to pick ourselves up. And we are in our flesh ungodly people. We are as bad as we can be. Were it not for God's constraint, we would manifest it daily. 
We are totally depraved and we are sick from our head to our toes. Isaiah 1, 6, you all know it. From the sole of the foot even unto the head there is no soundness in it, but wounds and bruises and putrefying sores. They have not been closed, neither bound up, neither mollified with ointment. From the very bottom to the very top of us there's no soundness, soundness, no wholesome or anything worth anything in us. But we are full of gangrene, bruises, and putrefying sores. We need a friend who will bind up our wounds, pouring in oil and wine. He has done this so that we are accepted of God, and he does this now in time. He makes us whole. He does this so that we might have peace with God. God is already at peace with us because of his Son, but he causes us to have peace with God. We are no longer angry at God. Just like the woman with the issue of blood, there is none that can help but one. If we can just but touch the hem of his garment, we will be made whole. He comes to us and he causes us. He forces us to admit to him we are good for nothing, evil, broken, and shattered. He will cause us to show ourselves friendly. His ointment is the Holy Ghost and the gospel. He gives us life from the dead, and he applies the ointment of the gospel to our soul. This mending that he does has lasting effects. Jesus Christ, if he is anything to us, he is our friend, and he has shown us this very thing in him dying on the tree. Because he manifested it, manifested it on that tree. First John 4, 9 and 10 we read, And in this was manifested the love of God toward us, because that God sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we, through, that we might live through him. Herein is love, not that we loved God, but that he loved us, and sent his Son to be the propitiation for our sins. He could have done this and left us right there. We would be miserable. But he was not pleased to do that. He in time comes to us in power and heals our rotten souls. And I want to show you this. Joe at Chapel pointed this out, and it's a good illustration. If you be turning to Exodus 28. And this is from Scripture. It's how close Jesus Christ is to us and how he causes us to be close to him. Exodus 28. And I'm going to read, read some verses here and there through, throughout 28 there. First, let's read verses 9 through 10 of Exodus 28. Verse 9 of Exodus 28. And thou shalt take two onyx stones and grave on them the names of the children of Israel, six of their names on one stone and, on the, other six, and the other six names on the rest on the other stone, according to their birth. With the work of an engraver in stone, like engravings of a signet, shalt thou engrave the two stones with the names of the children of Israel. Thou shalt make them to be set in ouches of gold, and thou shalt put the two stones upon the shoulders of the ephod for stones of memorial unto the children of Israel. 
and Aaron shall bear their names before the Lord upon his two shoulders for a memorial. God's people's names are engraved. They are not penciled in. They're not written in chalk. They are engraved. And where is this placed? On his shoulders. We are born forth. That is carried on his shoulders. His strength is our strength. You read verses 17 20 through 21 and you see these stones again. Graven with the name of, names of the children of Israel. Where does this get placed? Verses 29 and 30. And Aaron shall bear the names of the children of Israel in the breastplate of judgment upon his heart when he goeth in unto the holy place for a memorial before the Lord continually. And thou shalt put in the breastplate of judgment the Urim and the Thummim. And they shall be upon Aaron's heart when he goeth in before the Lord. And Aaron shall bear the judgment of the children of Israel, Israel upon his heart before the Lord continually. So you have the brilliant truth found, that is the Urim and the Thummim. His heart shows the brilliance of the truth. So the children of God have their names written on his heart. His love is our love. Are you getting the picture? Last one, verses 36 through 38. And thou shalt make a plate of pure gold and grave upon it like the engravings of a signet, holiness to the Lord. And thou shalt put it on a blue lace that it may be upon the mitre, upon the forefront of the mitre it shall be. And it shall be upon Aaron's forehead that Aaron may bear the iniquity of the holy things which the children of Israel shall hallow in all their holy gifts. And it shall be always upon his forehead that they may be accepted before the Lord. He is the head, and he bears our holiness for us, and we are on his mind when he goes before the Lord. We are holy, for he is holy. He has us wrapped up in himself. We are on his shoulders, we are on his heart, we are on his mind, always and forever. What else do we read in Scripture about our friend, the one who has done all for us? Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ is not entered into the holy places made with hands, which are the figures of the true, but into heaven itself now to appear in the presence of God for us, the forerunner. Folks, our friend has done all he did for us. He has given up all for us, but he has accomplished all for us. So what other kind of friends do we need? He is enough. If you know him, and that's only true if he knows you, if he does, it will manifest itself. How? You will fall down before him in submission to him, your Lord and Savior, admitting your worthlessness. There is no, no doubt that the one who sticketh closer than a brother is none other than Jesus Christ the Lord. That is the message of Scripture, the gospel. It is he who has saved us. He has done this judicially and he has done this literally. He comes to us and he heals us of our wounds and he takes care of us. 
But there is something else that Scripture tells us, and what a glorious truth it is. We read it in James 2.23. And the Scripture was fulfilled which saith, Abraham believed God, and it was imputed unto him for righteousness, and he was called the friend of God. If I believe God, and I will, if and only if he gives it to me to believe him. But if I believe God, God says I am his friend. Imagine that. One who is a sinner. One who in this flesh is his enemy. One who is ungodly and outside of him. One such that when he binds our wounds, it is said to us that we are God's friend. That's just amazing to me. When I think about it, how can this be? But it is. There is nothing but endless love and mercy when it comes to Jesus Christ towards his people. This world will have nothing of the sovereign Lord of all creation, and they will have nothing to do with those who do follow him. Hear this familiar passage, this world and how they think and treat Christ and his people. Luke seven thirty three. For John the Baptist came neither eating bread nor drinking wine, and ye say, he hath a devil. He was a teetotaler, and they said, he hath a devil. Then Christ says, they say this, verse 34, The Son of Man is come eating and drinking, and ye say, ye say behold, a gluttonous man and a wine-bibber, a friend of publicans and sinners. He was no gluttonous man, and he was no wine-bibber. But he did eat and he did drink wine. But he was absolutely righteous and perfect in all that he did. And he not was, but is the friend of publicans and sinners. He is the friend of publicans and sinners. He says he will never leave us nor forsake us. And he manifests his love for us in his works. He died on that tree in publicans and sinners' stead. Jesus Christ is a friend of publicans and sinners. So if you cannot take your place there, he may not be your friend. There is not one of us who sticks closer than a brother, but he does. We cannot trust in ourselves that we will do this or we will do that. We trust in him because without him we can do nothing. John 15, 5. I am the vine, ye are the branches. He that abideth in me and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me ye can do nothing. <clears throat> With him we can do the works he does. We can do everything. It is Jesus Christ the Lord who sticketh closer than a brother. Will you show yourself friendly to him? Now I want to read an article from Carol Coleman. You all may have to forgive me because I'm always touched by this. It's the first article in the book. His congregation had this book made of all his articles uh, he's done over the years, and they made a book of it, and this is... Uh, called I Had a Friend. If you ask me today, how have you continued these years? How have you made it this far? 
My answer is just this. I had a friend. I never made it on. I never made it on my own. Have you not made it made many mistakes that should have destroyed you? Yes, but I had a friend. Have not many dear ones you love turned away and in so in so doing broken your heart with a hurt too much for you to survive? Yes, more than once, but I had a friend. Have not self-righteous religionists rejected you enough to stop you? How have you survived all the criticism, ridicule, and accusations of men? Just one answer. I had a friend. To have so many year after year turn up their noses in disgust at the message of God's sovereign grace, has this not discouraged you enough to quit? Many times, but I had a friend. Is the ingratitude, lack of interest, and unfaithfulness of many not a depressing thing? Yes, but this is all about my friend. When many as close as brothers have forsaken me, my friend stick close, sticks closer than a brother and has promised never to leave me nor forsake me. They forbid me to continue with them, but I continue with him. Why am I not this day right now separated from God forever and tormented in the pits of the damned? Only one answer, I have a friend. When the chief shepherd returns to set the sheep on his right hand and the goats on his left, if you stand among his redeemed sheep, there'll be but one reason. You had a friend. On that day, fleshly religion will have melted away. In his presence, all your professions, pretense, and performance will mean nothing. If you stand with the redeemed, your testimony will be the same as mine. I had a friend. You'll not say then I did better than him. I did better than her. I tried to be faithful. I did my best. Spare yourself those words now. They'll be worthless then. The only testimony of every redeemed child of God is this, and this for all eternity. I had a friend. Who is your neighbor?